Thanks for tuning in to our Monday Night Godcast, an immersive and interactive discussion of the Bible. If you're listening to this right now, then I know for a fact that God has something for you. That's right, you. I'm glad you're here. Let's dive into God's Word and see what He has in store for us today. Ascension going on. We replace Judas. Mm-hmm. Jesus ascended into heaven, and they replaced Judas with uh, with another disciple. That was pretty much it. There was the promise of the Holy Spirit to come, which is what we're about to see today. Um, it was basically all set in the scene, and um, we talked about that. Um, you know, it was written by Luke, um, the same one who wrote the, the you know Luke. Um, and it was written as one book, and it was then later split. So it was written as um, in one big book, and then they kind of split it right where they split it. So you have the whole gospel um, from Luke's perspective, and then you have Acts. Um, we know that Luke was a physician. Um, he was a Gentile. He was not a disciple. He was not one of the twelve disciples of Jesus. Um, and everything that he has here is from first-hand accounts from everyone who was around Jesus. Uh, that was a big part of what we talked about. And then, uh, and the book of Acts kind of being uh, a really important historical link between all the, um, the records from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, connecting that to all the epistles, all the, the other next 27 books of the New Testament of all the letters written uh, from Paul, um, so Acts kind of that that middle ground, that that link, that connection, kind of piecing the Gospels together with all the epistles of kind of what hey, what's going on here, what just happened. So that's what we're going to see here in Acts. Um, and I mentioned that the first twelve chapters of the book of Acts um, is kind of mainly focused on Peter as like the main character, uh, and then the final sixteen chapters kind of changes to Paul being the main character. Of course, the main character is the Holy Spirit and Jesus and what God is doing here. But as far as, like, the main person, it's Paul, Peter for the first 12 chapters and then Paul for the final 16. So we're still going to see Peter being a, a big part of what's going on in, in this chapter here for a little while. And uh, we talked about that the, the kingdom of God... Um, uh, until the Spirit came that it's worth waiting for, and that they were given a command like, hey, just kind of wait here. Um, wait until the Holy Spirit comes. And so that's what they're doing. They're waiting. And that brings us to where we're at now. So, does anybody want to start reading? Well, 1 through... Let's just do it. 1 through 13. Sure. Go for it. Okay, so just preface, I have Catholic, so it might be just a little bit different, okay. but it's still same same message, okay. different, just different wordage or verbiage, okay. but still same thing. The coming of the Holy Spirit. 
When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. You said one to what? Thirteen. Thirteen. Let me see. Now, there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in a native language of each, in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Persia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying, one, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said they are filled with new wine. Awesome. Cool. Thanks for reading that. Ted Benthamites for being here on your first day. I I love reading. So. Awesome. I will you use your bank account five Ben points for knowing all the names of those things. Pronouncing those notes. Yes. I would have If you're winning, your Ben points are redeemable for nothing. Bragging points. One day they might be. Worth a crisp handshake. Anyway, so what is going on? What what has happened so far in, in what we just read here? The Holy Spirit came down. Holy Spirit, how how did the Holy Spirit come? Or what did it look like? Or? In a physical descent, it was like tongues of fire that rested upon their shoulders, mm-hmm. and <laughs> just really filled them with the ability to. Speak, essentially speak in tongues. Yeah. What else? What else happened? Thoughts, comments, observations? They could all understand each other in their own heart language. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. All these other people were like, hey, we're like, we're hearing all these other languages. How do they know these languages? Mm-hmm. And, of course, crowds gathered and were essentially divided by origin but not by faith. And really just listening to all of it while some of them were like, oh, no, this is this is just them being drunk or, you know, essentially it also says, well, in mind that they get filled with new wine is also like blasphemy, but there's others that know, they're like, oh, no, this is a phenomenon that's happening, and they, they didn't know it, that it was a huge pivotal event as that this was the spark that was about to, and they left to go essentially... Spread the word. Yeah, absolutely. Spoiler alert. <laughs> so first sentence, on the day of Pentecost. So when we hear Pentecost, we correlate it to this, of you know the Holy Spirit coming, tongues, all that. Before that day, what was Pentecost? Does anybody know what Pentecost was before the Holy Spirit came? It was 50 days after Easter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was 50 days after Passover. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a Jewish feast that was that was held 50 days after um, Passover. It celebrated the first fruits of the wheat harvest. So in the Jewish rituals of the time, um, the first uh, sheaf reaped from the reaped from the 
barley harvest was presented to God at Passover. It's like, here's, here's the first wheat that was harvested, and that's presented during Passover. But at Pentecost, 50 days later, the first fruits of the wheat harvest were then presented to God. So Pentecost is called the day of the first fruits. Uh, you can see that in Numbers 28, 26. Um, but, so, if you've ever been to a Pentecost festival, they usually present fruits, or, you know, they'll have that there, they'll have, you know, fruits being presented. So that's why, because it's, um, it's presenting the first fruits of the harvest. Uh, Jewish tradition also taught that Pentecost marked the day when the law was given to Israel. The Jews would sometimes call Pentecost, I'm not going to pronounce this correctly, but Anyway, it's, it's uh, translated to the season of the giving of the law. Um, Torah being in there. Zemin Matan Torah. No idea how to pronounce that, but that's my rendition of it. The season of the giving of the law. So it's kind of like the law has been given on this day. So the Old Testament day of Pentecost, Israel received the law, and now, this being the New Testament day of Pentecost, the church receives the spirit of grace and fullness. So it's kind of that cool correlation you had. They're celebrating, this is the day when we received the law. And now we're presenting our first fruits to God. But now, this day of Pentecost, this specific day, when the Holy Spirit came, we have uh, the church now receiving the Spirit of, of God in, in, the, in the form of the tongues of fire and the Holy Spirit coming. So what did we just learn about the Holy Spirit so far in this very short passage? Not necessarily right or wrong answer that I'm looking for, but any any thoughts or observations about what we just learned about the Holy Spirit? They brought it all together in one body. Yeah, brought them all together. This is essentially the formation of the church starting here. He's in everybody, like, you know, I want Jesus came, now it's like we have that access to the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. um, it's not just like before in the Old Testament where there's like a very specific day and time and stuff to go talk to God. Yeah. It's also uh, gave them the ability to speak their own language, gave them the ability to reach more people. Mm -hmm. And so those who were kind of separated by a language barrier who didn't perhaps understand the gospel or the stories we teach taught to them now had that ability to receive and understand other than what was like the regional dialect at the time. Yeah. I'm going to read, um, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to read the first little bit again and then I'm going to, I'm going to emphasize, I'm going to reread, I'm going to emphasize something. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages that the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. I'm going to read it again and I'm going to emphasize some certain words. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present um, was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. What, what did I emphasize? What did that teach us about the Holy Spirit? 
It was literally all of them. It was all of them. The gift of the Holy Spirit came to all of the believers there. And the gift of the Holy Spirit came upon not only individuals, but also groups. It came as, it's not just like, okay, this is for you, for you, for you, not, not everyone. It's like, everyone. It came upon them all. I had a thought. Um, when God, like, gave us different languages, it was because we were in a tire to reach the heavens. And also God, uh, it was a sin, and God got separated. And now that the Holy Spirit came down to us, we were all able to have the same language, pretty much understanding each other. 17 points. <laughs> we will be getting to that. That's a, that a great correlation. I feel like I have to generous with my dead points today. <laughs> what else? Um, anything else that we learned about the Holy Spirit? This gift was promised to us, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the previous chapter. Well, even prior to that, even in the book of John, um, it <coughs> talks about the Holy Spirit to come. And then the first chapter is essentially saying, you know, Jesus saying, like, hey, like, just hang tight, just wait here um, until like, I give you direction, essentially. We learn that it's worth waiting for. Holy Spirit is worth waiting for. The gift of the Holy Spirit comes as He wills, often not according to our expectation. Because... In chapter 1, uh, Jesus told them, Don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gifts he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I bet none of them expected to be speaking tongues of all these other nations, of all these other languages, and, and all these things. And They weren't just speaking gibberish or just random words, but they were... They were speaking and proclaiming about the works of God. Wait, am I going to head myself, or is that what we read? I might be going to head myself. I'm going to head myself a little bit. But anyway, spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, what up? So we have... They, they were all meeting together in one place. So we also see that the Holy Spirit is often... Um, is often given as God deals with the flesh and there is a dying to self. <coughs> so, what does this passage teach us? What does this passage not tell us about the gift of the Holy Spirit? The gift of the Holy Spirit is given... Well, not. It's not given according to a formula. You can't do this and do that and if you, you know, pray four times this way and say these words and bow down so many times and jump on one foot while patting your stomach and rubbing your head, like, and then you'll receive the Holy Spirit. There's no formula. It's just the Holy Spirit came upon them. <clears throat> they were there for a purpose. They were, they were obedient to, to what Christ told them to do. We also learned that you can't earn the Holy Spirit. You can't even earn it by our seeking. It's not, it's not like you have to look in a certain way or do a certain thing to receive it. There is no way to earn it. It's, that's why it's a gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit.
Then I'm going to go to verse 2. And I want to kind of dissect verse 2 a little bit. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Any thoughts just based off of that one verse right there? I mean, I'm always filled with like a bajillion questions here because this is 50 days after Jesus has ascended, right? So, this is 50 days after Jesus rose. Rose or ascended? Rose. Is that what it says? Yeah. It's it's after Jesus rose from the Passover. dead. Not me. Okay, so 10 days after Jesus ascended. Um, mm-hmm. Just that waiting period of just like, okay, so you don't have Jesus now. You know he's raised from the dead, but then you're just kind of in that limbo. And then all of a sudden, like, <clears throat> but yeah. No other way to say it, just but yeah. Like, yeah. A good way to describe the Holy Spirit is God in motion. And uh, during like one of these acts where it's in physical reality it, well, it's what the church calls divine providence is God physically moving reality for it to happen this is one of those circumstances like for example the parting of the Red Sea, of the Red sea and all that is God in motion in moving reality and this part since it was they don't use those words lightly a violent windstorm or a mighty windstorm or violent wind mm-hmm. it's not something they used lightly so it had to be pretty significant for them to A, put it in the Bible and B, describe it as such. So it had to be shocking to not only all of them, but it just magnifies or just puts under uh, or you can kind of conceptualize how big of an event this was and how everything descended and just really witness God's power firsthand. Yeah. The the sound is interesting because it's not just like Everyone started randomly speaking. It's like there was the sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and the the association of the sound of a rushing mighty wind filling the whole house with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is not something that commonly happened. Wasn't something that happened before. It has a connection with the fact that both in the Hebrew and Greek languages, the word for spirit or as a Holy Spirit, is the same word for breath, or wind. This happens to also, also be true in Latin. And then, the sound from heaven was the sound of the Holy Spirit being poured out on the disciples. The sound of this fast, mighty wind would make sense to any of these men and women who knew the Hebrew Scriptures think of the presence of the Holy Spirit. In Genesis 1, one and two. It's the Spirit of God as the breath and wind of God. Sorry. It's the Spirit of God that's blown over the waters of the newly created earth. In Genesis 2 7, it's the Spirit of God blowing life into the newly created man. In Ezekiel 37 9 and 10, it's the Spirit of God moving over the dry bones of Israel, bringing them life and strength. 
So we see this, we see this breath, right? We see this breath and we hear this, this wind before, right? And, you know, even, um, you know, we hear of like, you know, it's not like God wasn't in the, the mighty hurricane, the earthquake, you know, this, that, is in that still small voice, right? I forget the reference to that, but we talked about that uh, a few months ago. We hear of this breath, we hear of this, this wind before, right? It's the Holy Spirit moving. So we, we have even more still from this one line. Suddenly there was sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Suddenly, just the first word, suddenly, tells us that sometimes God moves. Suddenly. Right? Swift. That wasn't the Taylor Swift reference, but Good. swift. <laughs> Not until after Sunday. <laughs> the sound, and again, it tells us that it was real. <clears throat> the ears could physically hear the sound of God's presence moving. And they even knew that it was from heaven. It wasn't of earth. It wasn't something that could be created or manipulated here. That sound wasn't a sound that they had ever heard before. It was, it was a, a very distinct, unique, never heard before. That was a sound from heaven. And then it says mighty, full of force, great power. It wasn't just like, oh, wow, that wind came out of nowhere. Like, you see the, the leaves shaking? It's like, no, it was full of force, great power. Like, what else could bring and everyone's just speaking one language, and then suddenly this mighty wind coming through and giving them all this great power. And then the last verse, uh, verse 13, what we were just reading. Others in the crowd ridiculed, ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk. That's all. And then we're about to see the response to that in a minute. Before we get into that, uh, let's go to it there for a second and go to Genesis 11. So we want to read well 1 through 9 and we want to read Genesis 11 1 through 9. I'll read again. Tower of Babel. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words, and as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled, and settled there, and they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top to the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, otherwise we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the mortals had built. 
the Lord said, Look, they are one people, and, uh, and they have all one language. This is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us co- let us go down and confuse their language there, so that they will not understand one uh, understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Awesome. So we've probably all heard this before of what happened at the Tower of Babel. Man was trying to glorify themselves, saying, let's see how big and tall we can make a tower so that we can like make a name for ourselves. And God was like, oh yeah? <laughs> and you know, knocked the tower over, confusing them all, making them speak all these different languages. So at that time, up until that point in time, all the people of the world spoke one unified language. There's only one language. And then man tried to, you know, seek their own glory, and then God sent out to confuse them with the Tower of Babel. So if you ever heard, you know, people using the word babbling, you're like, ah, they're just babbling on and on. It's kind of where the word comes from, Tower of Babel. So we see here, now everyone's speaking in different tongues from what just happened at Pentecost here. They were all, um, there was a unity among all the believers. Ever since the early church fathers, commentators have seen the blessing of Pentecost as a deliberate and dramatic reversal of the curse of Babel, where now everyone, is all these different people, or one tongue is able to now speak all these different tongues. It's almost a reversal of what happened at the Tower of Babel. It's a cool correlation. That's good. Good pick up on that. It's also the Tower of Babel incident was... Um, a, d- a direct defiance of God's command to uh, fill the earth. It said they gathered in one place to re- build a tower reaching heaven, a sin of pride and arrogance. Yeah, and then we see in the next of that now they're all here in obedience because God, because Jesus told them to wait. So that's a cool correlation. But also, they thought that if they didn't build the tower, they'd be scattered across the earth, and because of their efforts, they were scattered across the earth. Okay, like it's often, it's like a lot of times you end up fulfilling the thing that you're trying to avoid. This master can't run from God's plan. Yeah, One more kind of fulfills their yes. destiny on the road they take to avoid it. Yeah. I like this uh, quote that he used. The Lord said, if the people speak in the same language, then they begin to do this, then nothing their plans will be impossible for them. Now, God gave us all the same language, so Basically, we, whatever we need to do through the Lord, because He gave us, he gave us that power. Yeah. And nothing's impossible for us. Mm-hmm. Cool. Good stuff, guys. All right. Let's go through 14 through. Wow. There's a lot of grounds covered. But don't worry. We'll only be here until like 12 30 tonight. Just kidding. <laughs> Um, somebody want to take 14 through 21? I'll read it. Go for it. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you who follow, wait, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. 
Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. In those days I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark, and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Awesome. Thank you. What's Peter's song to preach here? Unity. Mm -hmm. And also following of the law of the or following of the prophecy. And saying, Hey, this is not the time to be rebuking. Did you not just see what just happened? And hear of all of us happening. Did you not just witness a miracle and still yet you rebuke yeah basically it's just set with the, the prophecy here just really just pushing the envelope saying hey this is what's happening it's starting to happen get on board because the train's going mm -hmm. I like that he directly <coughs> you know gives a response to what these people were thinking. Like, they're just drunk. They're just, like, when was the last time you seen a drunk person randomly start speaking a language that they never known and speaking it clearly and speaking it not just babbling, but speaking of of, of what God has done, speaking of his glory. At and then one to one is that. It's like, drunk people don't do that. It's like, first off, it's 9 a.m., guys. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, he's talking about, like, in the morning, they devote themselves to prayer and they don't, eat until they spend their time with God. They'd be fasting until they, they have that devoted time. It's like, first of all, these people are like just finishing. Like they haven't even eaten yet. They haven't even drank anything yet. And it's 9 a.m. They're not drunk. They're speaking of the wonders of God. And this was prophesied. Joel told us this would happen. And then he quotes what Joel says. In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit upon all my people. Sons and daughters will prophesy. That's what they're doing right here. The gifts of tongues is a personal language of prayer given by God. A lot of the times when people are speaking in tongues, I don't know if anyone has ever been around someone in church or somewhere where people are speaking in tongues, generally the person who's speaking it isn't the one who even understands what they're speaking. There's usually another person who then, if God gives someone else in the room the ability to translate, someone else will be able to translate. A lot of times the person speaking doesn't even know what they're speaking. Which tells us something else about tongues. Part of the whole dynamic of tongues is that it bypasses the understanding of the speaker, being understood by God and God alone, until or unless God gives someone else the ability to translate and understand what they're saying. So we want to start reading from uh, 22 to 28. I can keep up. <clears throat> Go for it. Fellow 
Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you, you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him up from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the limb of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will find me with joy in your presence. Awesome. Thoughts, comments, observations? This is those, uh, Peter speaking here. He's speaking a little bit of what has just happened, a little bit of what's happening. And then speaking about what King David talked about, referencing some Psalms here. He connects, um, he connects the prophecy from Joel, which was in the Old Testament, mm -hmm. to Jesus, who was very recent for these people, mm -hmm. and connecting him as the one who is powerful and the one who's kind of in charge of making these things happen, in a sense. Yeah. You also have to keep in mind that only a very small amount of people were Christians at the time and knew that Jesus was God and so a lot of people just thought that he was a messiah not just God himself in human form and so Peter pushing the envelope is saying hey a lot of this stuff just happened Jesus just rose from the dead you know he just ascended into heaven was freed from death there was a prophecy from David the Holy Spirit just descended like how many more signs do you need to see before you start to believe mm -hmm. and it wasn't just to the non-believers it's also to the believers who just thought of him as a messiah and saying, hey, the man you guys killed, raised from the dead, as well as, you know, this whole excerpt from David and from Joel, like, all of this stuff is happening, like I said, get on board. Because this is what's happening before your eyes. This is not faith unseen. This is physical events. Any other thoughts, comments so far? What do you guys think about how Peter is bringing this up? Well, Peter's always still in business. He's always been really just not afraid of anything, not backing down, especially when it came to pertaining to Jesus. As you even saw in the Garden of Gethsemane, like he was ready to, ready to, you, you did swing. Mm -hmm. And he's not about to back down from anything him and him and saint paul both went hard and were not afraid to hash out everything and say what needed to be said here and so he was just like you're gonna listen because this is what's happening yeah i like that uh, peter didn't flinch at you know kind of calling them out saying you crucified this man who god sent you know peter's first concern isn't pleasing his audience here 
He's he's here to tell them the truth. Spirit the spirit filled Peter, this Peter speaking right now, was a different man than the the Peter, uh, not actually a different man, but um, as though he's a different person who just a few months prior was the one who was denying that he even knew Jesus. Now that he's filled with the Spirit, he's now standing up to the crowds. Before, the crowds were like, hey, aren't you, didn't you follow Jesus? Aren't you one of his disciples? Nope, I don't know him. No, I'm pretty sure I've seen you around him. No, I don't know him. No, you're definitely one of his disciples. I do not know Jesus. He just denied him three times in front of the crowds because the crowds were intimidated. Now, Peter, filled with the Spirit, is now like, hey, the man you guys crucified? Look what he's doing. He said it was going to happen, now it's happening. The Spirit of God is here upon us. They're not drunk, this is the Holy Spirit. This is exactly what God said would happen. This is what Jesus told us would happen. This is what's happening right now. Joel talked about it. Jesus talked about it. Even King David talked about it. And now he's kind of calling them out. So the spirit-filled Peter is very different than the uh, non-spirit-filled Peter. It's a good example for us to see, like, how powerful we are with the Holy Spirit in us and, like, the incredible things that we can do in this world using that mm-hmm. spirit. Yeah, exactly. Build off what she's saying and kind of what you're saying. So when Peter denied Jesus three times um, after Jesus rose... Peter or Jesus commanded Peter three times, or essentially re- reaffirmed him: "Feed my, feed my flock, feed my sheep, feed my flock." And at that time, he was like, "Hey, I know you denied me. I know you denied me. I know you denied me. I'm giving you take care of my people." Mm-hmm. And to think that, even with all that guilt that he felt and all the shame that he felt for only looking after himself doing during Jesus's passion, it was like, "Hey, it's okay. I forgive you. Now go forth and sin no more." Yeah. And Jesus and Peter's like, I'm not, no more weak stuff, and no more, not a weak, not a drop of weak blood in me now. He's like, I'm going to stand on it and be about it. For sure. It's always reassuring to see people who, who God can use to do mighty things. Because Peter, you know, he, he's called Peter, which is going to be like the rock, right? The rock of the church, like the, the one in which, like, God is going to build his church on, right? Imagine being told that and then denying him three times. That if someone who can publicly and very loudly three times in one night deny that he even knows God, that, um, deny that he knows Jesus, can be the one that God will choose to build his church on. And then, you know, we'll get there. But Saul, who is the one who's going to go then persecute and kill and seek out everyone who proclaims the name of Jesus, that Jesus will end up touching his life, and then he'd be the one to write, like, almost all the New Testament. What can he do with me? Right? It's like, what can he do with each one of us to... I mean, that's, that's what, like, this entire Bible is filled with, of... Flawed people who God uses. And, I mean, 
Abraham made mistakes. Moses made mistakes. Like all the people, all the all the people who are like, you know, the men of faith. You know, all these great heroes of faith. All the men and women of faith. They've all made mistakes. Every single person here made mistakes, except for Jesus. But all these are, are people who have made mistakes, who God uses in mighty, mighty ways. And and I don't know, to me it's reassuring that like, wow, okay, hey, like, I'm not as bad as some of these people. I never, you know, I never sent someone to uh, to their own death because I wanted to go lust over that person's wife like King David did. But yeah, he was still called a man after God's own heart. It's like, it's pretty reassuring to me, right? And, you know, I never really killed that person either. Oh, I never go killed him and then ran away and then, like, came back and, like, I never did all these things, but, like, hey, if God can use them, then God can use me. God used a prostitute to to be in the line of Jesus of birth, right, Rahab, and to, to save a whole family there. Prostitutes, widows, drunkards, blind people, lame people, deaf people, blind mute, deaf people, all in one, and all these other things. Like we have such a better starting point, essentially. Like all these, all these men of faith didn't have the gospel. They didn't have all of this so clearly written out to them. And we have so much more resources and availability. We have the Holy Spirit. That's what we're reading about here. We have the Holy Spirit living in us to be able to, to do all these things. Like, like we read and we so often misquote, like, I can do all things through, through Christ who strengthens me, right? Like, we use that to say, like, anything we want. But that's not what it's about. But that's exactly what it is for Peter here. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the difference between Peter denying Jesus and Peter now proclaiming and standing up for Jesus and to be able to, to have his his main concern being about telling the truth versus about pleasing the crowd. That's the difference between being able to do all things. Filled with the Holy Spirit, not filled with the Holy Spirit. Anyway, that was a fun tangent. Um, cool. And we want to read... Uh, And we want to finish it off, 29 through, no, no, that's a bit much. 29 through, that's an awkward joke. Let's just do, let's just make it awkward. 29 and 35. I've got, brothers and sisters, I can confidently <coughs> speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. <coughs> cool. Was it safe, safe for y'all for 36? 
Okay, we have all different versions too. I know, I'm just curious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious. Uh, mine says in NLT, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Exactly that. Yeah. Thoughts, comments, questions on what we just read there, 29 to 35? I guess it's saying that it's <coughs> separating David as prophet from Jesus as Lord, saying that, hey, David said all this, and he was died and was buried. Jesus rose, even though you crucified him, and then exalted at the right hand of God all of <coughs> this with the promise of the Holy Spirit, which is now upon us now. And this kind of goes with the, the few verses right before there of what of what he was quoting there from, from the Psalms. And he's really trying to tell the people that Jesus is <coughs> because um that's that's the first thought thought they had with Jesus is that he was just a drunk man and he had the sinners. And so now that they're that's why they were like when they started speaking in language, they're like, Oh, they're drunk, so it's still like that doubt of Jesus. So he's over here explaining to them like, mm-hmm. no, Jesus rose from the dead. That you crucified him. But the in books in the past they would have mentioned of this Jesus. There's all this proof that he, Jesus was Jesus and was with God. Mm-hmm. C.S. Lewis um, once wrote that Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or a lord. And those are the only three ways that anyone would ever view Jesus. He's either a liar. He's just telling people that he's the Messiah, but he's really not. He's a lunatic. He actually thinks he's the Messiah, but he's obviously not. Or, he's the Lord, and everything he said is true. And every man for himself, every man and woman for themselves can determine for themselves if they believe that Jesus is a lunatic, a liar, or a Lord. And that's kind of, in a way, what he's, what he's saying here, what Peter is proclaiming, like, this is what he said would happen. They're not drunk. Everything Jesus said would happen is happening. What the prophet told would happen is happening right now. So we want to take 36 to 41. Was the first formal Christians 
that called themselves Christians. <coughs> that separated from... Well, I guess there's the very, the very first Judeo-Christians that were actually were formally baptized other than just a small group of people. And you tell some go with this message, hey, this is a strict... This is a... a, a uh, strict command hey quit stop the debauchery baptize people so that they can receive the Holy Spirit and pass it on and so that sin starts to, starts to lose its grip on the people of the area and then eventually the world how nice would it be if every time someone preached the gospel that people how do they say Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him, what should we do? Right? It was, it was, this is, this is essentially like the Holy Spirit convicting the people who are in the crowd, listening to Peter's words here. Peter is then telling them, all right, then you need to repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized and, you know, receive forgiveness of your sins. Then the gift of the Holy Spirit will come upon you. <clears throat> And then it says, like I said, then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. How many people on that day were added to the church? 3,000. people. It's a lot of people for that time. It's a lot. I was listening to a podcast. This It's called the Bama Podcast. And they were going over Acts 2. And um, they were saying, like, it's parallel to Exodus 32 when, um, like, Moses and Aaron went up to the mountain and, like, heard God speak. And then, like, they, like, made idols out of, like, calves or something like that. And when they came back down, 3,000 of those people perished. So it's, like, a parallel to that, to, like, this. Well, I don't think Aaron was with Moses. He's the one. Something like that. Yeah. Aaron was with the calf. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the people came to Aaron, and Aaron was like, okay, we create this uh, calf. But, yes. Yeah. <laughs> in general, yeah. <laughs> it's like another another one of those times where how things did a one eighty. Instead of uh, three thousand people perishing, three thousand people got saved mm-hmm. or baptized. Yeah. But also, can you all imagine baptizing three thousand people in one day? It's a long day. I have, I have lived in towns with three thousand people. That'd be like literally the size of the entire town. Okay. Going down to the river to get baptized, okay? No. <laughs> what a beautiful sight it must be, though. I like, mean, like, last year, though, in California, there was a big baptism mm-hmm. in the ocean, and they had about almost 3,000 people that got baptized that day. Well, did everyone so, like, watch the Jesus Revolution movie? No. Yes. Like, yes, I did. Wow, crazy. Almost <laughs> like we watched it together. <laughs> well, that was like, I mean, obviously it was a rendition of what actually happened, but it's insane how many people were getting baptized. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like blown away when our church does baptismal service, and that's like what maybe a hundred people, people yeah. at that. Yeah. And they sign that, and you go ten. I like in verse that first verse seventeen <coughs> when they heard this, and it could be it could be all of what Peter has just said, or it, for like I don't know, it could just be that last verse right before it, 36, where he says, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When they heard this, 
they were pierced to the heart mm. and said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, apostles, brothers, what should we do? And it's that hearkening back to this Jesus, always pointing back to this person who you crucified, this Jesus, both Lord and Messiah, a reaffirmation of his identity of who Jesus truly was and why that matters. And it's after this acknowledgement of Jesus as both Lord and Messiah that they ask, what's next? And I think for me, I th and as believers, we can take from that, like, <clears throat> at, what does our acknowledgement of who Jesus is, how does that impact us to action? Does it? If it doesn't, then have we fully, really acknowledged him as Lord and Messiah in our own lives? If we're not moved by that, if our hearts aren't pierced by the Holy Spirit's conviction of our sins, if it's not, if it's not oriented towards, okay, now his identity, what does that do about my life? What, how, how do I live my life in recognition of who he is? If that's not our first inclination, then somewhere along the way we are disconnected from this definition of him as Lord and Messiah. Somewhere there's not a full understanding. And I'm not saying we ever will. I think learning him as Lord and Messiah is a lifelong journey of a believer getting close to <coughs> Jesus, like allowing him to reveal and work in your lives in different ways and show himself, prove himself those things. You know, he has nothing to prove to us, but he does it over and over and over again. But that is what sticks out to me is like this affirmation of Jesus as both Lord and Messiah is what pierces their hearts to mm. move them to action. Yeah. Well, considering that they were also best friends with him, they spent three plus years literally being in his presence all the time. And so it's, like you said, it's just how it affects our daily life. How do we, how do we go and, because you can, you can feel, feel bad for your sins mm -hmm. until you turn blue. It's what, do you turn away from your sin? Do you stay in your sin? Do you seek Jesus? Do you ask for forgiveness? You know, you can feel bad, but you could still stay in your sin. And he's saying, hey, this is the Jesus that you guys all know. Seek him and be, be forgiven and live your lives now. Yeah. Question for you guys. Not, not in rhetorical, so you can answer it. Don't even think it. Just say what makes sense. Who crucified Jesus? I didn't. Wow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, physically, who, who, who nailed Jesus to the cross? The Romans. The Romans did. Yes. Y'all took it. I mean, you didn't even think it's okay. Good. You got where I was going, I guess, eventually, later down the line. But the people who physically <coughs> crucified Jesus, the ones who put the nail through his hands and his arm and his legs, were not the people that Peter was talking to right now. It was the Romans. It was the Romans who were the only ones who were able to crucify someone. It was the Roman invention of crucifixion. But it's almost a little harsh, I think, in, in my, I think rightly so, but... 
It almost seems very harsh, verse 36. And, and he said it before, even in the same speech, um, in... Verse 23, uh, with the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. And then in verse 36, this Jesus, whom you crucified, these people didn't, were the ones who physically crucified. Now, they were in the, in the crowds yelling, but Pilate was like, what should we do with him? Crucify him! Crucify him! Right? They were they were the ones who were for it. They were the ones, they were in favor of Jesus being crucified because they didn't like what was going on. And they were confused and all sorts of things. Stirred up. Right? The Pharisees kind of like got the crowd all shooken up. So while they weren't the ones who physically nailed him to the cross, no, but, but Peter is rightly saying like, you guys are the ones who crucified him. You guys are the ones who wanted this to happen. They had many chances to stop it. Mm -hmm. And they never once denied that fact. They weren't like, whoa, 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 we did it. It's the Romans on us. Like, they never denied it. They're just like, their hearts were then convicted. They're like, well, what should we do? What do we do now? But, but no, that's, I've heard of, you don't know who said it. I heard a few of you say, in, in response to my question, who crucified Jesus? You said, I did. But that's, that's a good realization that, you know, our sins are the one who, uh, our sin are the one who, who put Jesus up on the cross. So it's like, yeah, who crucified Jesus? I did. Mm -hmm. I crucified Jesus. But not to take that as weight that you now have to carry, because he did it willingly. It's not something to be like, I suck. I'm terrible. I'm awful. Like that's not what. That's not. That's not even Peter's goal here. His goal isn't to make him feel bad. His goal is to be like, it's the Holy Spirit convicting him here. They need to accept what they did in order to repent. Yeah, exactly. So I'm gonna take the the last part of this forty-two at the end. I'll take it. Go for it. This next part is the one of the first recorded parts of charity by the apostles. Um, so, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute, distribute the proceeds to all, as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple... They broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Awesome. What is this? What's, what, what is this being formed here? The church. Mm -hmm. This is the church. Because it started at, in, in public, and now it's starting to go home. Mm -hmm. and there's the church of the people, and there's the church of the household as well. Yeah. Uh, my... my Bible titles this little subsection the believers form a community and the community being the church and it it says nothing about well it says that they worship together at the temple each day but meeting in homes for the Lord's Supper 
sharing their meals with great joy and generosity. Now, it, it, the only thing it mentions about a physical place is that they worship together in the temple. That's, <coughs> that's not what it's talking about here as the church or the community. It's not like, oh, they go to church once a week and, you know, they, they, they do this for, you know, two hours a week and then they just go back to their lives. It's, it's a community they're talking about here. They, they share meals together. They help the needy. They worship. They, they add to their numbers of their fellowship each day, those being saved. It's so much more than just a one-time thing or, or, hey, let's just do this because, like, you know, we should do this. They're adding to their numbers every day. Well, it says, the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. It has nothing to do with them. God is adding to their numbers every day. Every day, start with you know a few people, and then three thousand people on that day got saved, and now it just continues to keep growing. This is this is the start of it all. <clears throat> Any final thoughts, comments, questions, observations? Anything from Acts chapter two or one and two up until this point? If we look at if we look at uh, forty two through forty seven again, it's not just a forming of community. It's a oh nor sorry, it, it it's a call to family, it's a call to community, it's a call to participation. Mm -hmm. It's not just be oh okay I believe. Me over here no. I do I do it. It's like okay well do you you know do you clothe the naked? Do you feed the hungry? You know are you starting to participate in the community and really spread the teachings of what Jesus did? Is that what we can take from us from this last part? Is that like you? Of course, you are believers. Now go do as I've commanded the believers do. Mm -hmm. Is participate, be merry, and have you know fun and live joyously and rejoice, and don't be afraid of what happens in life. Yeah, absolutely. Participate. We'll see this more in um, chapter four, but it's basically communism. To be 100% honest, it's really they had all things in common. Like, that's exactly what it is. It's like, hey, you know, we're, we're on a goal, and this is, this is it. It's just God-led, which is why it works. You could even say humanitarian. Yeah. But it's not driven for that. It's driven out of obedience to what God has to say. When it comes to um, like the repetition here in Bible, in 42 it says they devoted themselves and then in 46 again it says every day they devoted themselves. So what did they devote themselves to? They devoted themselves to teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so when we think about the things that we ought to devote ourselves to when it comes to being in community and how we apply this, or if we say we want to be part of an Acts church or an early church, like this is what, this is what we talk about. We talk about devoting ourselves to hearing, right, to receiving teaching from trusted pastors, from the word itself, we receive that. We devote ourselves to fellowship, right? I think it's in Colossians where it says don't neglect meeting together, but this idea of community being important, but also specifically the idea of breaking bread together, sharing meals, right, having that, um, you could
could even say like the Sabbath meal, you know, things of that nature, sharing together, breaking of bread, and then to prayer. The fact that prayer makes that list and not some of these other things that we talk about, like spiritual discipline-wise or prayer being a key component of what it takes to be in a church that is growing and have this, but also in communion with the Holy Spirit and with God as our Father, that's key. Like, you don't get this without that. And I think that's one of the key takeaways here is, like, we don't get to have this without devoting ourselves in the same way like the apostles did to and, and what was the end result? They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. I don't know about you guys, but like that, I want that every day of my life. Like that sounds like a great way to live, <laughs> not just on Sundays, but on your Mondays, Tuesdays, every day of the week. Like, and it's available to us. Like we look back and we think, oh, that was for them and that was for them. It doesn't have to be, and it nowhere in here says that that's the case. Like, they devoted themselves to what? Teaching, fellowship, <coughs> breaking of bread, and to prayer. If we can expect to do the same things, I think we would be seeing wonders and signs filled with awe in the same way that the apostles did. And so, why not? Yeah. Why not do that? Mm-hmm. Well, Jesus specifically commands it prior to this point, too. <coughs> to come together eat, exactly. drink, be merry, as well as remember me yep. and what I've, what I've commanded you to do. Mm-hmm. And you know, seek those and essentially reclaim my sheep of all nations. Yeah. It's, it's crazy to see these brand new believers doing all these great things and, and it says that they, they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need and these are people who are like brand new believers. Brand new believers in something that's just now brand new to believe in. And yet, you know, I look at myself and I'm like, I mean, I haven't sold all my stuff and I haven't, you know, like, given away everything I have to do these things. But, like, that's not what we're called to do. You can. It's not saying you have to sell all your possessions, but just don't let your possessions be your, you know, what you hold on to. Yeah, don't let your possessions be your God. That's, you know, there's a whole parable of Jesus saying to the, the rich young ruler, like, hey, what don't you do? It's like, sell all your stuff. And he's like, know about that because to him his stuff was what he most valued tangent anyway um it's no 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 i got myself on a tangent but just just to see what these people are doing is 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 like refreshing to see it's almost like a challenge like you know this is this is what the church should look like doing these kinds of things of reaching out to those in need and sharing with those who who need it and telling them sharing the gospel, and adding to their fellowship. Um, and, I mean, I could probably talk a whole lesson or series about, like, you know, the importance of eating, <laughs> um, of, like, eating and, and fellowshipping over, over meals and stuff, like, why it's so important. It's, it's so much more than just, like, let's eat because it's dinner time. It's, like, there's so much more than that in, in fellowship and, and sharing the meals together. Um, but... Probably had one other random tangent, but I think I lost it, so I don't think it was that important. Anyway, any final thoughts? Any notes? <coughs> Bye.
God, thank you for this ability to pray to you right now. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit then and for letting the Holy Spirit dwell in us right now. To be able to, to call our bodies a temple of the Holy Spirit where, where you choose to dwell, where you choose to live in. Um, it, it, puts, it puts responsibility on us for, for how we live our lives because your spirit can't be in some place that's defiled or, or that isn't worthy. Um, so Lord, help us to, uh, to live up to your standard, to be able to, to obey as the, these early believers did, that they, they chose to obey you and they waited for you and to um, listen to your instruction. God, let us um, live daily by following and listening to your Holy Spirit and being like these early believers who went out and, and didn't let their possessions be their priority, but they, they let your instruction be their priority. And they went out and taught others and shared with others and added to their numbers daily. God, help us to be able to live like that, um, to be able to take our faith past Sunday, to, to have a Monday morning faith, to have a Tuesday night faith, to have a Wednesday afternoon faith, to be able to, to live out day by day um, way more than just on Sundays and uh, to be able to, to live how you call us to live. Thank you for everyone who's here tonight. Um, thank you for um, everyone who chose to spend a, a Monday night here. Um, and that also for those who couldn't make it tonight, God, I pray for blessings over everyone, um, for, for healing, for sickness, uh, for pain, for emotional pain, for um, any type of pain or ailment that anyone has. Um, God, I pray that, that you would heal it in, in Jesus' name and that, um, yeah, that you would keep us all safe and be able to, to live out the lives that you've called us to live and to, to be like Peter and to stand firm and to not be afraid of of calling people out in love and to, to not be afraid of what people think of us but to just proclaim your truth in Jesus name Amen Hey, thanks for listening It's always a good time when God's presence is with us I hope you enjoyed it and that you tune in again for the next episode of The Monday Night God Comes